Staff is ready when you are. Good evening, and welcome to the Thursday, June 8th, 2023, 5.30 p.m. Planning and Design Commission meeting. This meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call a roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Vice Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Here. Commissioner Chase? Here. Commissioner Lamas? Here. Commissioner Buckley? Here. Commissioner Caden? Here. Chair Hernandez is absent. Commissioner Masius Reed? Here. Commissioner Young? Here. Commissioner Boyd? Is absent. And Vice Chair Wallace? Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Uh, I would like to remind the members of the public in chambers that if you would like to speak on an agenda item, please turn in a speaker slip when the item begins. For the members of the public who wish to join virtually, please refer to the agenda for your Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, click raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. Online, if you are online, click on raise hand on the bottom of your screen. On the mobile, in the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. If you are calling in via telephone, to raise your hand, dial star nine. Then to unmute or mute, dial star six. Speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. You will have two minutes. It's three minutes, isn't it? Three minutes to speak once you are called on. After the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips and the raise hand feature in Zoom will be disabled. We will now proceed with today's agenda. Uh, please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Potwin-Winton peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the act of practice and acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. And please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Our first business today is the director's report. Stacia will deliver an oral report. Thank you, Chair. I have no items for the director's report this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Our next item is approval of the consent calendar. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Vice Chair. I have no speaker slips on this item uh, from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Seeing no hands. Um, is there a motion or a second for the consent calendar? Commissioner Chase. I move approval. All right. And Commissioner Macias-Reed? I second. All right, I have a motion by Commissioner Chase and a second by Commissioner Macias-Reed. Will the clerk please call the roll for the vote? 
Thank you. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? I'll abstain as I was absent. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Chair Hernandez is absent. Commissioner Masias Reed? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Boyd is absent. And Vice Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Okay. Uh, we will now proceed to the discussion calendar. Item two is the public review draft of the Sacramento 2040 general plan. We have a staff presentation. Good evening, Chair Wallace and commissioners. I'm Remy Mendoza with the Community Development Department, and I'm also joined by Matt Hertel, our long-range planning manager. Joining us virtually is Cheryl Hodge, our new growth manager, and joining us momentarily is our lead consultant, Andrew Hill from Diane Batia. Uh, pleased to present an overview of the draft 2040 general plan this evening. This document is a product of extensive community involvement, including input from residents, business owners, community groups, and environmental justice working group, various commissions, and council. Sacramento 2040 is an important citywide project that involves updates to key long-range planning documents, both the general plan and the climate action and adaptation plan. Today's presentation is focused on the general plan, but staff will be returning on June 22nd with the full presentation on the climate action and adaptation plan for this commission. Updating the plan is important. Sacramento is one of the fastest growing cities in California, and updates are needed in order to respond to evolving community needs and address opportunities and challenges that come with this growth. In my presentation tonight, I'll be covering a process recap, a draft uh, 2040 general plan organization overview, as well as talking about the specific content of the general plan, the next steps, and then uh, proceed with the discussion and Q&A. So this project kicked off back in February 2019 with phase one, the issues and opportunity identification. In this phase, we did an analysis of the existing conditions and extensive community outreach to understand Sacramento's vision for the future of the city. In phase two, we developed the draft land use map and key strategies, again, with extensive community involvement. And then in phase three, we took those ideas and turned them into fully formed plans. We are now starting phase four the final stretch, final plan and adoption. A big focus of this, of this phase is confirming that the plans achieve the residents' goals that were set out in earlier phases. The self-guided online workshop is our main vehicle to gather community input, and it will be open through August, at which point the team will make revisions to the plans that are based on community input and bring the project to the Planning and Design Commission and City Councils for hearing and adoption. Phase one of the community engagement focused on understanding the issues and opportunities from the community perspective and building a shared vision for the kind of community that Sacramento is wanting to see in 2040. Through a variety of engagement strategies, more than 700 participants shared their input. The, this input helped shape the vision statement and guiding principles for the 2040 general plan. That the kind of place that Sacramento would like to see in their city in 2040 and what is necessary to achieve it. 
The vision that was developed is that in 2040, the city of Sacramento will be a national model of sustainable, equitable growth and community development. The vision statement is supported by 45 guiding principles organized under six themes that include sustainable and responsible growth, resiliency and climate action, safe, equitable, inclusive and just city, regional economic hub, livability and sense of place, and an interconnected accessible city. Phase two of our community engagement process focused on key strategies to address the issues and opportunities identified in phase one and to implement the shared vision. Again, robust community engagement was integral to vetting and refining these strategies during this phase. Approximately 2,200 Sacramentans participated. The key strategies that emerged from this phase included permitting a greater, greater array of housing types in neighborhoods, allowing for mixed-use development and commercial corridors, uh, requiring new buildings to be all electric, transitioning existing buildings to be all electric, promoting infrastructure to support electric vehicle charging, an increased tree canopy throughout our community, using an equity framework to set funding priorities, studying the annexation of the Fruish Floor and Study Area, prioritizing walking, biking, and transit over automobile use, and removing parking minimums, and introducing parking maximums. Now I'd like to walk you through the organization and structure of the 2040 General Plan. Staff presented to the Planning and Design Commission on January 28th and March 25th of 2021. The Planning and Design Commission input contributed to the organization of the General Plan. Over the course of preparing this General Plan, staff and the consultant team desired to elevate the environmental justice element in the General Plan and the land use element. So we've created standalone elements for these topics within the 2040 General Plan. The general plan is organized into four main sections. Part one of the general plan covers introduction, as well as a chapter on sustainability and equity. Part two is a citywide goals and policies. Part three has a community plans and special study areas. And, the final, and then part four contains uh, the, the administration and implementation section of the plan. And there's also three appendices that include the vision and guiding principles, our glossary, as well as photo credits. The introduction helps set the context for the 2040 general plan, and both in describing the planning area and context, legal requirements, general plan or, uh, organization, um, and the process recap. But it also uses two features to help make the document accessible to the user. A user guide explains the structure and, and role of the goals, policies, and implementation actions that identify actions the city is going to take to implement the 2040 vision. And then there's also a policy index that's designed to help the users navigate the plan easily. Policies are organized by topic. So if you're particularly interested in a particular topic like walkability or policies related to youth, you can look at the index and see all the policies in the plan that address these topics. There are two overarching themes that emerged from the process, and these were sustainability and equity. Sacramento is poised to see significant new growth in the coming decade, and it is critical for the community that this growth happen in ways that are both sustainable and equitable. The sustainability and equity chapter presents these key themes to frame the 2040 general plan. This chapter also introduces a set of indicators that will be used to monitor progress towards achieving the key community objectives. And uh, for each indicator, there's a baseline metric that is provided along with a future target that can be used to measure progress. The indicators cover items like commute mode share, tree canopy coverage, the number of public electric vehicle chargers, and share of residents that are spending more than 30% of household income on 
on housing. Part two of the general plan contains the eight elements that correspond with the legal requirements and local preferences. These include land use and placemaking, historic and cultural resources, economic development, environmental resource and constraints, environmental justice, mobility, public facilities and safety, youth parks, rec, and open space. These elements contain goals, policies, and actions to achieve the vision and implement the guiding principles for the 2040 general plan. I'd like to provide you an overview of each element, and we'll be starting with the land use and placemaking element. This element lays out the city's approach to development and conservation. It includes 11 goals supported by policies and standards that guide growth and change, land use, development intensities, infill and mixed use development, industrial areas, complete and inclusive neighborhoods, as well as placemaking, green building, and the arts. An important focus of this element is on promoting a compact urban footprint. And 92% of the projected growth in Sacramento is anticipated to be built in opportunity areas such as the central city, along commercial corridors, and near transit. Infill development in centers and corridors will help support frequent, reliable transit. The land use and placemaking element includes land use diagrams at the maximum floor area ratio maps that together will help determine the maximum uses and intensity of development that can be built on any given parcel throughout Sacramento. Standards for growth strategically help to reduce the VMT and greenhouse gas emissions and set up, are set up for frequent, reliable transit. As a reminder, the Planning and Design Commission provided input on the draft land use framework, including the draft land use designations and maximum floria ratio map, and council approved these on January 2021. Since then, staff has made minor revisions based on public input and a detailed parcel-by-parcel -parcel review. The minimum development intensities from the 2035 general plan have also been carried over and are included as two additional maps uh, in the land use element. On our project website, there's also an interactive land use map that shows for each parcel in the city the, both the existing 2035 general plan designation and the proposed 24, 2040 general plan land use designations and minimum and maximum development standards. Some of the key moves in the land use element include incentivizing and attracting infill to corridors and centers, infill development, uh, permitting a variety of housing types and intensities throughout the city, prohibiting new drive-through restaurants near transit, promoting future-ready gas stations, which would include prohibiting the establishment of new gas stations, or the expansion, unless project proponents would provide high-speed electric vehicle charging stations at a ratio of one charging station per three fuel pumps. Additionally, we're looking at updating our home occupation regulations, designating the Natomas Basin study area as an area of concern, and studying the Fruit Ridge Florin annexation. Related to the policies in the previous slide, I also wanted to bring to the, the Commission's attention the Land Use Implementation Action Number 8, which provides specific direction for updates to the Planning and Development Code after the adoption of the 2040 General Plan. This slide highlights several of these Zoning Code amendments. The Staff Report attachment includes the entire list. The Draft 2040 General Plan does not include the 2035 General Plan Land Use Policy 1.1.10, exceeding floor area ratio. Implementation of this policy has been problematic due to the lack of clarity for city staff 
and lack of certainty to project applicants about what constitutes a significant community benefit. A revised approach is recommended for the 2040 general plan. This includes increased and more permissive maximum floor area ratio citywide. If a project applicant would still like to exceed the maximum floor area ratio without requesting a deviation, they can use provisions of the state density bonus law to exceed the floor area ratio if this project includes deed-restricted affordable housing. The historic and cultural resources element is not a legal requirement of the general plan, but it reflects the importance of this topic to Sacramento. It outlines a comprehensive framework to identify and protect valuable historic and cultural resources, thoughtfully integrate new development, and encourage community education and appreciation. Key moves include the development of historic context statements and surveys that include the history of underserved communities and black and indigenous and people of color, color groups in Sacramento. Um, additionally, working with tribal representatives to preserve their identity, culture, and artifacts. Like the historic and cultural resources element, the economic development element is also an optional element addressing a topic of importance to the community. Policies in this section seek to promote a diverse range of businesses, to establish emerging industry sectors, catalyze sustained and inclusive economic growth, as well as cultivating innovative and innovation and the exchange of ideas and preparing the local workforce to succeed in the 21st century. The environmental resources and constraint element addresses the statutory requirements for noise, conservation, and safety. Overall, it seeks to promote a safe environment that enhances the community character, residents' quality of life, and contributes to the city's livability and economic productivity. In particular, policies and actions focus on environmental resource protection, natural hazard risk mitigation, protection from toxic air contaminants exposure, heat reduction in the public realm, promoting neighborhood resilience plan, and the development of an urban forest plan. The full policies for several of these key moves are included in attachment three of the staff report. The EJ element is a new element for the general plan and it's required under Senate Bill 1000. It outlines the actions the city will take to help promote public health, engage community members in decision making, and enrich the quality of life for all residents. It focuses on addressing inequities as well as empowering all residents to reach their full potential. It is organized around five key goals to help promote clean air, water, and soil, uh, encourage equitable access to fresh, healthy, and affordable food, coordination of resources to ensure safe, sanitary, and stable housing, active participation of all segments of the community, and investments that address longstanding inequities, empower disadvantaged residents, and build neighborhood resilience. Out of the total of 174 census tracts in the planning area, 51 are designated as disadvantaged communities by the state and, 20, and based on 21 indicators of pollution. Um, these include environmental quality and socioeconomic and public health conditions as well. 41 of these census tracts are located within the city limit. Calenvirus Green 4.0 indicators developed by the state are a useful first step in identifying disadvantaged communities, 
but the data does not address other factors that characterize environmental justice topic areas defined by the state law, and these include risk of displacement, healthy food access, or racial inequity. This map shown on the screen here, EJ5, represents additional analysis and shows the most cumulatively impacted communities based on a composite score of 68 factors, including the indicators used in CalEnvirus screen, in addition to variables such as housing conditions, access to healthy food and recreational facilities, neighborhood conditions, transportation safety, and race. Map EJ5 shown on the screen here builds on the state disadvantaged communities map, which identifies the areas designated by the state of disadvantaged communities. Both of these maps can be used to help guide future investments and actions by public, private, and nonprofit sectors in disadvantaged communities and other areas that are cumulatively impacted by environmental justice issues. So in the decision-making process, city officials and staff will be able to use these maps to help prioritize interventions that redress the burden, build capacity, and empower the most vulnerable and historically underserved communities in Sacramento. Wanted to highlight in this slide three implementing actions of the environmental justice element that will likely come back to the Planning and Design Commission for implementation after the adoption of the 2040 General Plan. And these include an amortization ordinance where the city would study the feasibility of an, an ordinance that would phase out polluting industries currently located near sensitive receptors. Um, as well as the second one on the list here is performance zoning. The city shall develop zoning standards applicable to new and existing industrial manufacturing development to minimize or avoid adverse effects related to air quality, noise, or safety on sensitive populations in disadvantaged communities. And then what a uh, implementation action here related to healthy food zoning, where the city could update the zoning code to promote and protect healthy food options. Uh, potential amendments to the, to the code could include incorporating zoning controls that would prohibit tobacco sale points near schools, um, including standards and incentives flexible enough to accommodate alternative grocery stores, preserve, and preserving grocery store uses in underserved areas through zoning designations. Policies and actions in this element also focus on healthy food zoning, healthy food initiative partnerships, increasing diversity on city boards and commissions, and embedding racial equity through GARE. The GARE theory of change emphasizes normalizing the conversation about race, developing a shared understanding of commonly held definitions of implicit bias and institutional and structural racism. The general plan also promotes mobility and transportation choices for all Sacramentans within an integrated approach to land use and transportation. The mobility element of the general plan outlines a strategy for mobility and access improvements that help provide an equitable, sustainable, multimodal system that provides viable and healthy transportation choices, as well as reducing reliance on single occupant vehicles, streets designed and maintained as places, a safer transportation system, connection to the regional transportation network, data, technology, and innovation to help inform mobility choices. Policies and actions in this element seek to set up for high-frequency transit service, deploy public and private electric vehicle infrastructure, expand the use of transportation demand management strategies, foster user hierarchy that prioritizes pedestrians, bicycles, 
and shared modes of transportation over single occupant vehicles, increased bicycle, bicycling and walking, and collecting and, oper and operationalizing curb use and mobility data. The next agenda item before you tonight, the next presentation, will provide an overview of the parking regulations revision studies that has recently kicked off and will inform the parking management strategy and suggest some code revisions. The public facilities and safety element is the next element of the general plan. It satisfies, satisfies the requirements for safety and circulation element in part and provides a framework for protective uh, proactive planning and maintenance of utility infrastructure, community-based approaches to neighborhood safety, and community resilience in the face of climate change. The youth parks rec and open space element is the next element in the general plan. And it satisfies the statutory requirements for, open, for the open space element. This element also outlines a framework to guide decision-making and investment in parks, recreation programs, youth services, and natural open space areas. In particular, policy is focused on equitably increasing public park acreage using a standard of five acres per 1,000 residents citywide, as well as providing a park or recreational open space within a 10-minute walk of every residence, as well as developing a performance-based system for prioritizing parks and recreation investments, particularly in underserved and disadvantaged communities. This element will provide the overarching policy direction, which uh, the Parks Plan 2040 will implement in detail. Part three of the general plan contains the 10 community plans that identify neighborhood-focused strategies, prior community plans updated with extensive community input and restructured to provide a more consistent format and level of detail. Each community plan includes a community vision statement as well as a summary of the local issues and opportunities and area-specific local policies. Community plans supplement the citywide policies by identifying and addressing specific local priorities and issues that are unique to each community plan area. For example, the land use and placemaking and mobility elements include policies to guide transit-oriented de development and multimodal mobility around light rail stations. Yet the East Sacramento Community Plans adds additional policies specifically to guide development and infrastructure investment around the 65th Street light rail transit station with the goal of fostering a transit village in the area. Beyond the boundaries of the 2040 general plan, the city has defined special study areas that are adjacent to the existing city limits. These unincorporated areas are of interest to the city as the planning of the area necessitates a coordinated effort by the city and the county for infrastructure and provision of services. Part four of the general plan contains the general plan administration and implementation section. The implementation table in this uh, part four describes and prioritizes actions to implement various plan concepts. It establishes a time frame and departmental responsibility for all of the programs and actions. Each year, staff will provide an update to the progress of these implementation programs. The public redraft of the general plan was released on April 28th the same day as an online self-guided virtual workshop launched as a platform for people to understand what's in the plan and explore the details and be able to provide feedback. Additionally, throughout the summer, staff will be presenting to the boards and commissions, will be conducting outreach at community events, community input will be summarized in the fall, and a hearing of the draft plan will be prepared. 
The public review draft Master Environmental Impact Report will also be released in September. Then the 2040 General Plan, the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, and the Master EIR will all come uh, before the Planning Design Commission and City Council together at adoption hearings in early, early 2024. The online self-guided virtual workshop has been, de has been designed, as I mentioned, as a primary tool for collecting and centralizing community input for the 2040 General Plan and the CAP. Today, we've held two well-attended orientation webinars with over 100 participants. Uh, the online self-guided workshop remains open through the end of August, so it can be accessed by members of the public 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Community members can also email staff with questions or submit common letters at sac2040gpu at cityofsacramento.org. We also have copies in print of the 2040 general plan that are available at the city's permit counter and at the central library as well for anyone who's interested in looking at a hard copy. So this concludes our presentation. We welcome any questions, comments, or discussion from the commission and members of the public. Thank you. Thank you. I'll open this up for commissioner questions. Um, first up is uh, Commissioner Messias Reed. Okay, sorry. I've been told we're doing public comment first. <laughs> um, clerk, are there any um, members of the public who wish to speak? Thank you, Vice Chair. I have several speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have a few hands raised online. Um, our first speaker, we'll start with those in chambers. Um, our first speaker will be Greg, then Kevin, and then Ben. Hi, I'm uh, Greg Chu. I'm with the Sacramento Council of Governments, or SACOG. Um, at SACOG, we serve as um, the regional transportation agency for the six-county metropolitan area. That's uh, two and a half million people, six counties, and 22 cities. So um, uh, what Mr. Mendoza showed as far as uh, what's going on in the proposed general plan update, uh, remarkable. Uh, we hope a lot of jurisdictions can implement a lot of the the ideas that uh, you have in there. So I just want to comment on a few specific things. Uh, we did submit a letter that provides more detail about uh, my comments. Uh, but uh, first off, uh, at, at SACOG, we're uh, often doing uh, our transportation planning in conjunction with land use. Uh, we're, uh, our goals are the same um, throughout the region. We're trying to reduce congestion, vehicle miles traveled, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and incre increase uh, livability in communities. So, uh, uh, so one of the first comments we had was on the uh, maximum floor area ratio map. Um, uh, we applaud the city for uh, what it's proposing, uh, but uh, one specific thing that we'd like to see is particularly within a half mile of the high frequency transit um, areas, uh, we'd like to see uh, uh, increase in the maximum floor area ratios uh, and, and applied more uniformly. Uh, the second comment is, um, you know, again, we're trying at CCOG to, to uh, increase, um, do the changes necessary to bring about the uh, vehicle miles uh, traveled reductions and increase transit. Um, and we'd like to see uh, transit uh, 
uh, in transit areas take higher intensities along uh, all transit-rich neighborhoods specifically, high opportunity areas, uh, and make them more uniform uh, throughout. Um, and the, our third comment is on the mobility element. Uh, again, the city's doing a great job in terms of prioritizing pedestrian usage and uh, reduce uh, single uh, occupancy vehicles. Uh, we'd like to see uh, two specific things. First, in map uh, M1, uh, some road reallocations that reflect all Vision Zero corridors. Uh, we think the city is doing a remarkable job with the Vision Zero work. Uh, we'd like to see that reflected in your maps. Uh, and second of all, um, we'd also like to see the city uh, uh, just make sure that it's coordinated uh, with its transit planning, uh, the regional transportation network plan. Uh, that's an effort by SACOG and all the transit providers in the region uh, to coordinate on, on transit. So with that, um, be glad to take any questions. Again, uh, we have a more detailed comment letter uh, in the packet. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Kevin Dummler. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Kevin Dummler. I'm a resident of District 4, and I'm also the director of House Sacramento. We're an info advocacy organization, um, a group of volunteers that advocate for more infill housing as a means of addressing our housing crisis. Um, and tonight, I just want to applaud staff. Thank you for the work that they're doing. And um, just lift up the vision statement that they mentioned, which is to be a national leader um, in land use. And I think the general plan really is truly an opportunity for us to um, establish Sacramento as a leader um, in land use policy. And we really see this as an organization, as an opportunity to create affordability and sustainability um, throughout the city. So um, I know it's a huge document and I just wanted to highlight, there's a lot of good things in it. Um, I just wanted to highlight three things as an organization we're really um, excited about. One is switching to FAR. Um, and I think this will just allow a lot more affordability by design throughout our region and um, having that be the metric by which we're um, creating our land use maps and allow a greater variety of housing types throughout the city. The second um, is an additional mix of uses, so just putting things within closer proximity that people are using every day, um, creating more commercial uses in our residential neighborhoods and more residential uses in our commercial neighborhoods. Um, and third is a transportation system that really aligns with a greener, more urban, sustainable future. Um, and just one example of that is switching from what's called level of service to a vehicle miles traveled metric. Um, I also had three requests that I think that would really put us closer to that vision of being a national leader. Um, one, um, which you just heard from Greg, is increasing FAR around light rail and transit stations. And I think in particular, around a lot of the light rail um, stations, the FAR metric is 1.0 still. Um, and I think switching to uh, FAR 4.0 within, say, like a 10-minute walk of those transit stations would really align with um, our goals and um, really create returns on the investments we've made in transit infrastructure. And I think the uh, 4.0 uh, metric, really the key is just that we can, you should be able to create, I think, a mid-rise building within walking distance of our light rail stations. And that's really the message I'd like to, to make. Um, second request is to eliminate parking minimums and institute parking maximums. I think this is really important as we um, move forward as a city with creating a future that's greener um, and more supportive of transit uses. Um, and lastly, uh, I'd like to encourage 
um, staff and um, the city to think about increasing FAR in high opportunity areas. So um, the base FAR throughout many high opportunity areas is 1.0, and I'd encourage a 2.0 designation. These are areas with our best schools, best parks, and I think it's important we create opportunities um, in those areas. Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Our next speaker is uh, Ben Raiderstore. Um, hello, and thank you, commissioners, for the opportunity to speak here on this important plan. Uh, and thank you to staff for all the hard work that went into this really impressive document. Um, with apologies for my informal dress, I'm taking a break today from moving boxes into my new, our new home here in District 4 in Mansion Flats. So housing is very much on my mind today. Uh, and to that end, I'm really grateful that I get to live in a city that is working so hard to ensure that everyone who lives here can continue, like my wife and I, to find a home here in this welcoming city. Uh, a lot of things that Kevin just talked about. Um, so my overall impression is that th with a few important changes, this plan really can be worthy of Sacramento's status as the most forward-looking city, not just in California, but in the entire West Coast. Um, so the three changes that Kevin already talked about that I think make so much sense for this plan, first, to make it as fair as possible, and I strongly encourage the city to move up to uh, FAR of 2.0 in wealthy, high-opportunity areas um, to make sure that we're growing equitably as a city. Uh, second, to make this plan greener, uh, right now 17% of downtown Sacramento's land area, and that's just the downtown neighborhood, not all of the grid, is given over to parking. Uh, and that feels, that feels plenty to me. I think that the runaway growth of carbon intensive transit in California is something that the city can really do a lot to affirmatively move to stop, um, in particular by ensuring that this plan does away with parking minimums and inst institutes parking maximums. Um, and then finally, and most important, uh, to make this plan more connected and to use this plan as an opportunity to make this city into a transit city of the future um, by, as Kevin said, increasing FAR to 4.0 in transit areas. Uh, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, if you live by a light rail stop, you should be able to live in a four-story building, and we shouldn't ban the existence of four-story buildings around transit stops anywhere in the city. Thank you so much for the opportunity to make comments. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Ansel Lundberg and then Erica Butler. Good evening, Chair and Commissioners. My name is Ansel Lundberg. Um, I am a District 7 resident and a member of House Sacramento as well. Uh, I'm the Communications Officer. So I'm just here to also speak a little bit about this plan. Um, also want to thank staff for their tireless efforts over the last couple of years. And, doing community outreach, um, getting the plan out on the street, and getting input from folks in the community. So that's really important because this is big stuff that we're talking about for the next 15 plus years. So um, similar comments to the previous, you know, generally supportive of uh, the increases in, uh, well, actually, let me talk about what we appreciate, the differences between the current general plan and where this draft is going. So. Um, just generally, the move towards the form-based code, FAR, is a huge step. Um, density caps, you know, it's just very prescriptive in terms of what can go where in our neighborhoods, and the form-based code under FAR is much more uh, sort of liberal in terms of what uh, can be built in our neighborhood. So I have, I live in Curtis Park myself, and 
there is a building near me that I believe is going to be 12 units. And under the current general plan land use map, um, you know, it was proposed to be 16 units. And the zoning actually allowed for 16 units, but the land use map did not. And so the as you probably know, the land use map does trump that. And so um, it didn't get cut down. So I, I'm really, that's just a, a real concrete example of what, of how important this, this plan is. Um, I also wanna say, you know, in terms of the op high opportunity areas and increasing that FAR to 2.0, I view this, you know, the city has done major work in terms of kind of short-term solutions and how to deal with homelessness and the homelessness crisis that we face with our neighbors who can't find housing, can't afford housing. I feel that this is the, it's essentially the long-term plan to address that. So in 2040, we wanna look at this city and say we, all of our neighbors have homes and this is the place that we're gonna be able to do that. So uh, just encourage you to be bold left an e-comment with more details like policy numbers and things like that, but um, I, I do personally live in a high opportunity area, Curtis Park, and a transit rich area near the 4th Avenue stop, so I would encourage you to um, put those houses in my backyard. So thank you for your, for your time. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Erica Butler. Hi, thank you, commissioners. Uh, I'm Erica Butler. I am a resident of South Sacramento. I actually live out in the county, but it's within that pink area on the map. Um, I'm wanting to mention three things today. Um, I don't have as much detailed policy understanding as they do. I just want to go into a more experiential uh, discussion. First one is the presence of public restrooms. Um, whenever I'm out and about in Sacramento, like Midtown, Downtown, and I need to use the restroom, where would I go? Do I just have to go to some place and buy something and use the restroom there? Um, I think if we're wanting people to be able to, you know, feel like they could just be out there in a public place, there should be a way for people to have things like restrooms, maybe get some water, things like that. Because if you're not dehydrating yourself, you're gonna to have to go to the bathroom at least every couple of hours usually. So moving on to another subject would be on tr transit. Uh, I live in the county area. I do get served by SAC RT. Uh, I'm in that thing where you call on the mobile app and somebody will come and pick you up. But it's only available from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on weekdays. So if I'm gonna use that, I have to be home by seven o'clock and it's not available on weekends. Um, so I generally have to drive. In addition, when you're biking or walking along arterial roads, it's really unpleasant because you have all these cars zipping by and it isn't even an issue with the engines. As I understand, it's actually an issue with the tires rolling on the road. Once you're going above like 35 miles an hour, the tires get really loud. Um, so that often makes me reluctant. And also just because I feel unsafe walking and biking along arterials. What if somebody just goes slightly off the road? I could get hit. So it wouldn't be very pleasant. And finally, the issue of annexation. Um, I live in that little pocket area in South Sacramento that is unincorporated still. I'm not sure why it's set up like that. Maybe lack of density, you didn't think you could get much 
taxation out of it, but I would say that there are quite a few single family homes there functioning as boarding homes, boarding houses, and so there might be a lot more density in those areas than you would think. And so in interest of being able to provide services to those areas as well, I'd like the city to consider annexing those areas. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, we'll now move to uh, members of the public online. I have two members of the public with their hands raised. Uh, our first speaker will be Kay Crum. Hi. Um, good e evening, commissioners. My name is Kay Crum, and I live in Fort Ridge Manor in District 6, and I'm a member of Strong Sacktown. Thank you so much for taking my comments on the, the 2040 draft, general plan draft. Um, this plan, I think, is a great start, um, and it just needs a couple of changes. You know, with those changes, it can make a huge impact on reducing our reliance on single occupancy vehicles and improve Sacramento's fiscal solvency. Um, so I have a few suggestions for the policy changes uh, that you've already set up um, so that we can meet those goals and go above and beyond that. So um, I'm a person who also takes transit and walks and bikes. Um, I don't have a car. And transportation needs to be convenient, reliable, and safe. Uh, and we could do that in a couple of different ways. And I think this plan could really expand on those by, one, partnering with SACRT, like having specific plans with SACRT to create transit corridors. Two, by building more class one bike corridors or having places specifically for bicycles to bike safely. Um, and three, by slowing down or closing select streets around the city to protect all of the different tra traveling pedestrians, whether they're on bike or they're walking or rolling or whatever they're doing. Um, just kind of having that separation, kind of like what Emily was talking about. Um, additionally, one of the biggest influences in deciding on whether or not a person's going to drive is ample free parking um, and really ample parking. So we can significantly reduce the reliance on single occupancy vehicles by eliminating parking minimums and establishing um, robust parking maximums um, and, and kind of reducing the places where people can park within the city center itself. So reducing single occupancy vehicles on the road, uh, this isn't just an environmental plea here. Um, this is necessary to balance our budget because resurfacing roads is an expense that the city can't afford as evidenced by our 100-year backlog of transportation projects and the condition of our roads currently. Um, and all the parking lots that sit empty most of the time take up valuable real estate that could be used for housing or starting a small business, uh, which generates revenue for the city. So please direct staff uh, to consider the revisions to the plan. And uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your comments. Our final speaker is Troy Sankey. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, thank you. My name is Troy Sankey, and I'm a district of uh, I'm a I'm in District Four, resident of New Era Park. Overall, I love the analysis in the plan, but I think the goals are relatively unambitious, especially for a 17-year target. I have a lot of little thoughts on the plan, but today I just wanted to give one guiding statement and a few additional recommendations. Cars and trucks are the largest source of air pollution in the city, the largest source of noise, a primary source of noise pollution. 
the largest greenhouse gas contributor, a, a large financial burden to individuals, second only to housing, disproportionately affecting lower income families. Their <clears throat> cars are a, their supporting infrastructure for cars is the biggest financial burden on the city, only rivaling the police budget, and it's not getting any smaller. Uh, finally, car infrastructure leads to sprawling land uses, which are the greatest threat to what natural habitat still remains in California and the Central Valley. So all that said, I'd, a slight reduction of VMTs per capita as a target indicator is pretty inadequate given that the population is likely to grow as we densify over the next two years. I strongly advocate for including a new indicator around reducing total VMTs, not just per capita. So along those lines, I strongly, I also advocate for strengthening any language around eliminating parking minimums and instituting parking maximums, as well as increasing development intensity around transit stations, really, really investing in transit-oriented development. Uh, the residential mixed use land use has been created in this document, which is really good. Uh, but when I look at the five minute walk shed of light rail stations, I still see a lot of low intensity so-called neighborhood land uses uh, and low maximum FARs. So I would advocate for densifying around those stations, especially within the five minute walk shed. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Vice Chair, I have no more uh, public speakers. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, now we have time for Commissioner comments. Um, first, we have Commissioner Macias Reed. Are you not trying no. to speak? No. <laughs> I actually have my notes. I left them at home and my husband texted them to me. So actually oh, have, okay. I can go first. You want but us to I have, go back? I can advance and we can I can come go back first, but I have three other commissioners who are before yep. me. Absolutely. So. Commissioner Zhang. Hi, thank you, Vice Chair. Um, so my question is regarding the um, participation in the webinars. Um, I think you mentioned that um, to date, uh, between the two, there were 100 participants. Is that correct, or is that per webinar? Um, <clears throat> to clarify, uh, Commissioner, uh, over 100 participants in both webinars today. Okay, and then um, for the online self-guided workshop, is do you have a count of how many people have done that? I'm just wondering how, if, if we're reaching enough people. I don't have the, the, the latest number, but we are seeing pretty good traffic and ha have not received any uh, negative feedback or any red flags or concerns or issues about the platform not working. So I believe okay. everything is operating smoothly. Thank you. And I do want to also repeat that uh, what many people here have said. It's I'm very excited about the plan. So thank you so much for all the hard work that's been put into it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Zhang. Uh, next, we have Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Remy. Excellent presentation. Well organized, and I know a tremendous amount of work has gone into this. You know, not just you, but the entire staff. Um, I recall being in, involved. Oh, I can't remember how many years ago it was in, in one of the early, um, you know, workshops uh, in my district too. Moving forward, uh, great effort. I think we, you know, we, we need to really, uh, you know, some interesting comments. Should we increase density? Uh, you know. It's a, I have mixed feelings on that, but we, we obviously want to get as much additional housing as we can in this city. That's been an issue. Um, 
I think the other driving issue we've seen, though, for some time certainly is affordability. And I know the increase in uh, density that we are looking at and what we're seeing right now in uh, single-family residences is a way of increasing affordability, I think, by increasing the intensity, which, which allowed that uh, approach. One thing I did not see anywhere in here, and I would like to ask about it, is any kind of uh, bringing back a restoration of an inclusionary uh, housing policy uh, within uh, the housing. We had that many years ago, uh, where rather than paying an in-lieu fee, uh, and I think that's probably will, will be one of the most effective ways of increasing our affordabilities as we move forward. And, uh, you know, I, I did not see any, I saw mention of, uh, uh, I think community inclusion, but you know, not specifically an inclusionary housing policy that would require every <clears throat> project coming forward to have a percentage, you know, to be determined of, of affordable units. Um, beyond that, I again, I, I really applaud the, the staff for the work that's been done to date, and I look forward to us moving forward to this. Thank you, thank Chair. you, Commissioner. Good evening, uh, Commissioner Chase. I'll just uh, give you a slight update on the study to look at inclusionary housing. So as our first element in our housing element that was adopted and recommended for adoption by this commission, we've been asked to study and uh, take a look at our mixed income housing ordinance and uh, recommend changes uh, based on our study. So we are underway. We just released our second deliverable, which is a, a case studies and survey of other jurisdictions, both locally and around the country uh, and different models that they're using to provide more funds and uh, in some cases on-site inclusionary requirements. So in the coming months, we'll be uh, back to the commission with some preliminary recommendations and thoughts about that uh, uh, in terms of the options that we have before us, whether it's uh, requiring on-site affordable housing or whether it's increasing fees or combination thereof. So stay tuned. Thanks for the clarification. That, is that it from the Commissioner Chase? Any additional questions? It is. Maybe you just can't hear me. <laughs> okay. I have, a, I have yeah. Uh, I next have Commissioner Caden. Thank you, Chair. And I just want to echo all the comments that everyone has said already, but um, just a tremendous amount of work, over 500 pages. So um, thank you, you know, to the staff for all of the, the time and effort that went into this. I was reading through it, and honestly, I was just, like, feeling these feelings of like pride and just like feeling lucky to live here and, and to be um, serving. So, you know, I, I do think that this has an opportunity to be, you know, one of the best um, comprehensive plans in the country. I, I want to ask a couple questions here, so humor me. Um, first around transit. So um, I saw, you know, in the sustainability and the equity section, we have those quantified targets, which is great. And it, it has us going from 3% transit mode share to 11% in, in 2030. Um, that's commendable. I'm glad that you know we're being ambitious with those targets, but that's that's going to take some pretty dramatic changes, right? Not just in road prioritization, but you know the frequencies of transit, and um, of course, you know the the number of people living and working near near transit as well. Um, I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on on map M3. That's the candidate high frequency transit corridors, and that map, of course, includes our um, existing and planned light rail. Uh, lines, and then it has a select number of other corridors in there that are being considered for higher frequencies. And I'm just wondering how, how the city went about um, choosing those corridors. 
Um, I'll introduce Andrew Hill from our, uh, Diane Bhatia, our prime consultant, who helped prepare the map. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Um, as Remy said, my name is Andrew Hill. I'm with Dighton Bhatia. Um, we were the prime consultant on the on the project, but we also had Jarrett Walker and Associates out of Portland, um, who had done previously work with SACRT in developing their uh, RT forward network. Um, and so uh, Jarrett Walker looked um, very specifically at those corridors. And uh, if you've um, read the mobility element closely, you'll actually see there's a whole section on the geometry of uh, successful transit. Um, and the, uh, based on Jarrett Walker's input, we identified the sort of the prerequisites for um, for frequent reliable transit, uh, in that it be uh, dense, linear, and proximate. So dense means density of people, density of activities, um, density of uses. Um, linear, uh, uh, transit works most efficiently when it operates on, on straight, long corridors, and Sacramento is uniquely set up for that. Um, and, uh, and then proximate um, has to do with how many people can get at uh, the transit from adjacent areas. And so looking um, at where the uh, redevelopment opportunities were strongest, where the indicators of redevelopment potential in the city were strongest, we identified a number of commercial corridors um, that could accommodate um, new development, whether mixed use, um, residential. Um, and focused on the land use on those. And then we connected uh, the mobility strategy with those um, corridors that have the strongest redevelopment potential. And Jarrett Walker also looked at other indicators as well. Um, so where the, where the corridors connect to, if they have anchors on both ends um, that are going to be able to, uh, to, sus um, to sustain a, uh, uh, an efficient um, level of service, of transit service along those corridors as well. And on the basis of all of those factors, um, we came up with the, with the corridors that you see um, on that map. I think another thing to keep in mind uh, as well is um, is uh, the it's helpful to focus development as much as possible. Um, if you sp spread things too thinly um, and have too many corridors in there, you mu you won't achieve the the densities necessary um, to really support that frequent reliable transit. So it was really a um, uh, an iterative, nuanced effort to identify those corridors. Um, integrating the land use and transportation, looking at um, which corridors really had the um, uh, the characteristics that best support um, frequent reliable transit, and that's how we came up with those ones. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I was I think I was a little surprised um, to see a few key bus lines that were not included in that map. So the the two that came to mind for me were the 30 line on J going through East Sacramento to Sac State, and then um, the 62 along Freeport. Um, through Land Park there, and I, I ask because it seems like those routes to me um, are are sort of uh, meeting many of those characteristics that you're describing. Just wondering if those were considered. Yeah, so actually, uh, Freeport is one that um, I thought was it would be a great candidate myself as well. Um, the issue that Jared Walker had identified with Freeport has to do with um, it's a very long strip, and there and the the development opportunities along there are not as great as along other places. If, for example, the airport um, were were to be redeveloped with a, a variety of different uses, then Freeport becomes um, a lot more of a candidate. Um, I, I mentioned I mentioned previously the the idea of anchors, um, and so the the Delta Shores is sort of a, a um, outer anchor um, for a Freeport as a. Um, as a transit corridor, and it, it doesn't quite have the densities that um, Jarrett Walker would would have hoped to be a really strong anchor to um, be able to um, pull 
uh, transit you know service frequently along that along that corridor. But I think it is one something you know maybe for the next iteration of the general plan, um, uh, as as other corridors get built out, that could be something that that is a longer term yeah. item. Uh, understood on the anchors. I I guess I would. Uh, it, it seems like Sac State would be a pretty tremendous anchor um, for for the for the J line. So that might be something to look at. Um, we did hear public testimony from SACOG about aligning this map with um, the regional transit network plan that is um, being developed um, at the regional level along with all of the other transit agencies in the region. Um, uh, is it possible for staff as sort of we get closer to adoption on the general plan to kind of uh, coordinate with, um, with that plan just to make sure we're kind of all working together on that? Great. Um, so, uh, and sorry, I got a few more questions here. So policy LUP 4.1, um, I, I want to talk about this policy a lot tonight. It says that the, the city, so I'll just read it, the city shall encourage increased residential and commercial development intensity within one quarter mile of existing and planned light rail stations, commuter rail stations, and high frequency bus stops. Um, I think it's a fantastic policy. I'm, I'm really glad that we're trying to tie allowed intensities to policy-driven uh, criteria. I think transit proximity is probably one of the better policy criteria to think about in this respect. I was just struggling to unpack the different parts of that policy, though, so I wanted to just clarify. Does existing and planned, that clause in that, in that policy, is that um, just for the light rail stations, or is that also for you know, the commuter rail stations, the high-frequency bus stops? Is it existing and planned for the whole thing or just the light rail? Uh not just the light rail, the whole bus service as well. Okay, so I, I think a key question um, is gonna be what constitutes planned uh, in that sentence, because that will, that will change depending on who you talk to, the time horizon you're talking about, you know, does it need to be financially constrained? Um, so I think it'll be, it'll be critical on this policy if we're able to just actually like clarify and like really explicitly define what we mean by existing and planned. What do we mean by high frequency, right? Um, planned by who, right? So if, if maybe if, if not in the policy uh, as a footnote or, or in the glossary or something like that. Um, is that, okay. And then as a, is there a particular reason why we're using the fourth mile buffer as a part of that policy and not the half mile buffer that we um, use as part of the TOD ordinance. Um, I can answer the first part of the first part of the question for sure, if you'd like. Commissioner, I believe your question was if there was a particular reason why only a quarter mile was considered versus a half mile. Yeah, just just because you know I think the like in state statute half mile is sort of like the typical transit proximity like definition, and then we also have our own city TOD ordinance, which, yes, it eliminated, I know this is now antiquated, as Ryan will be talking about because of AB 2097, but it eliminated parking requirements within a quarter mile and then cut them in half, I think, up to a half mile, and we had that whole process where I identified these half mile buffers. Just curious what the thinking was on this particular policy to limit it to a fourth as opposed to going all the way to a half. And I, we're certainly, our staff are certainly open to evaluating 
uh, increasing that radius from a quarter to a half and something we were willing to look at. I believe that uh, all of the intensities uh, across the city were increased and we're looking at uh, a particular within a 10 minute walk or a quarter mile radius of a light rail station giving an additional bump to that area that's uh, the most uh, close proximity within a light rail station. So just looking at that 10 minute walk area. Okay. Um, so I was playing around with the, the land use map, which is, which is a really great tool. Um, and I, I love the um, ability to kind of compare against the 2035 plan. I think that was um, uh, a really cool way to kind of demonstrate what the changes are. Um, and, you, you know, uh, as you mentioned, I, I recognize that we're talking about sort of a rising tide here where the allowances are sort of being um, lifted across the board as we move away from unit-based restrictions, going to this FAR-based system, um, which is great. Um, but I did find it interesting to see that the, the vast majority of the sort of inner ring neighborhoods, um, so, you know, the East Sac, Elmhurst, Oak Park, Curtis Park, Land Parks of the World, right? Um, in the 2035 plan, all of those neighborhoods are essentially either traditional neighborhood low or traditional neighborhood medium density. And both of those designations have an FAR of 1.5. When you, when you look at the maximum FAR map that we have in front of us, you see um, there isn't a 1.5, right? There, you see a, uh, an increase in North Oak Park to like 2.0, uh, which I support, um, but you actually see a decrease in all of the other neighborhoods that I mentioned from 1.5 to 1. I think my first question is just what, what is the rationale for decreasing um, below the 2035 general plan um, in any of these neighborhoods? Commissioner, I uh, would like to clarify. The FAR of 1.5 that's shown in the 2035 general plan is not ap applicable to residential development. Only density is ap applicable. The FAR of 1.5 is for non-residential development or mixed-use development. So the maximum density in those neighborhoods that you mentioned, uh, East Sacramento Land Park, is actually a maximum of eight units an acre. Um, so it's rather low versus um, some of the other neighborhoods in the central city or Oak Park, which had a maximum uh, density of 36 units per acre with a general plan designation of traditional neighborhood uh, high. So the FAR that is shown on the land use table for the 2035 general plan was not intended to apply to residential development, but to non-residential development. So I apologize for that confusion. It's not clear. I see. Okay. So so I guess it wouldn't, it would never come into play right. in the sense that you couldn't right. get you know, close to 1.5 anyway with eight units an acre. Exactly, yes. Okay. Um, so going back to, to uh, my favorite policy, LUP 4.1, it looks like there's a number of neighborhoods that are um, immediately adjacent to these light rail stations. And I'm specifically, you know, um, looking at the light rail stations in Land Park, right? So the, the Broadway and 4th Avenue um, uh, station on the blue line and then the the two East Sacramento um, uh, light rail stations on the gold line. Um, and those, the, the kind of areas around those neighborhoods, it looks like they're, they have the lowest FAR of, of 1.0 on the map. And that, that seems to run counter to the intention of that policy, which, which is, again, to commit to higher intensities, higher than something, right? Must be higher than something else on the map. Um, higher intensities near transit. And so I'm wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about some of the policy reasons why, why you see those differences. 
Sure, I think, um, <clears throat> Commissioner, part of the methodology um, that we applied was um, uh, looking at where missing middle housing types, uh, such as duplex, triplex, and fourplexes, could be allowed in the city. And we do believe that FAR 1.0 does represent a substantial increase, a 75% increase in some cases within these existing um, areas that you've identified, and that that uh, 1.0 FAR would be able to accommodate um, the higher intensity development that we're looking to see there to help support um, uh, transit ridership. Um, it is not as high as some of the other light rail stations, but uh, uh, the, the built environment and the makeup of that, that area is also different. To a certain extent, uh, a lot of it's already built out, uh, primarily with low density development versus some of the other areas around the light rail stations where there's vacant sites and underutilized sites, which our consultants evaluated every single light rail station area, and also look at where there was um, developer interest and opportunities to assemble parcels to, in fact, um, built it out to a higher intensity development, that, uh, higher than a 1.0 FAR. So there was an analysis of methodology applied to all the light rail station areas in the neighborhoods around the light rail stations as well. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, just to hone in a little bit, right, like, and right, like the urban form of these neighborhoods looks differently in part because of what, what we've allowed to, to be built there in the past, right? And so I'm not sure, you know, it should be really thought about like what, what has been built in the past because of the regulations informing the future. We have an opportunity to change all of that, right? So, you know, I live in, in North Oak Park, right? I'm a little bit over a quarter mile from the Broadway station. And so the FAR map is showing uh, an FAR of 2.0. And, you know, you can see the same thing in some of the public housing sites in the West Broadway specific plan area. You know, if you go one block south of Broadway, in Land Park, or if you go sort of immediately adjacent um, to these East Sacramento light rail stations, the max is one. And it's, it, it just seems to me that the neighborhoods have pretty similar policy characteristics as, as we've sort of identified in the general plan around transit proximity, around some of these other things you're talking about. And, and then in addition to that, these are high opportunity neighborhoods with you know the city's housing elements. We've sort of committed to encouraging denser types and more affordable types in these places. So I guess I'm just, I'm trying to understand again why the FAR isn't at least consistent with Oak Park in some of these high opportunity transit adjacent neighborhoods. Is that like a comparison that, that staff was kind of looking at between neighborhood like Oak Park versus Land Park? I would say there was a comparison based on existing development standards to a certain extent. So the um, uh, Land Park neighborhood, for example, they identified had a maximum density of eight units per acre and then the Oak Park had a maximum density of 36 units per acre. So an effort to have sort of this incremental increase in development standards, um, a 1.0 FAR increase in Land Park was, uh, uh, you know, it's quite a 75% increase and the increase to a 2.0 FAR in uh, Oak Park is a 25% increase. Uh, but both would be allow, allowance, uh, allowing the uh, busy middle housing types within those neighborhoods, so consistent with the overarching policy in the general plan. The other thing I would just offer is, um, Remy touched on it, but maybe to elaborate a little bit, um, really uh, it does have the difference between the, 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 the typologies that you're talking about has to do with um, development potential in part. Um, when We started off by doing a, a land use analysis, as I sort of mentioned previously, to identify areas of the city that are most likely um, to see redevelopment, and then we really focused community outreach and analysis on, around those areas to, to develop a vision, and that informed the land use designations um, and, the, and the FARs. And so in areas where you're seeing a higher FAR around transit stations versus areas where you, you're not seeing a higher FAR, it has to do with how many vacant or underutilized sites there were. 
Um, in areas where you have a, a lower FAR, um, they're typically, they're, the properties are already built with a single family home. There aren't um, a lot, if any, vacant properties or underutilized properties. So there wasn't a lot of, um, of redevelopment potential there. Um, and so even if you were to you know, dramatically increase the FAR there, um, if there isn't the, the development potential, then um, you know, it, the, uh, you're limited in what can happen there. Um, versus other areas where there are vacant parcels or underutilized parcels and there's more development potential and that's where we wanted to, to focus um, and encourage and incentivize um, redevelopment and that's why the, um, the FAR map is set the way it is. Great, thank you, appreciate it. That's, that's all my questions. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. Uh, next we have Commissioner Macias-Reed. Oh, I'm up. <laughs> um, thank you for bearing with me. I finally got my notes. Um, Great questions, so thank you, Commissioner uh, Kaden. Um, so I wanted to, uh, yeah, again, a thank you to the staff. I know I've certainly, we've been working and talking about this since I started commission in 2019. It's been a ride and it's been great. So I've been to some of the community meetings, the community plan area meetings. Um, it's just, it's great work, so thank you all. Um, I wanted, to ask a question around LUPA 8, the Planning and Development Code updates. Um, there is a bullet point there um, that states prohibit new drive-through restaurants in areas where a strong pedestrian and transit orientation is desired. Um, I recall um, a, a, a prior uh, commissioner who was on this commission for quite some time, um, who was from the North Natomas area. Um, she is no longer with us, but you know she spoke, you know, often about, you know, the future planned light rail going to the airport that we all desperately want and feel like we need. Um, but the, Natomas just doesn't have that. And what I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you guys can't off the cuff get this number, but I think there was something like 13 drive-throughs approved within a specific time frame here at Planning Commission. Um, in district, the old district one prior to redistricting. Um, and I know that it was a concern of then Councilwoman Ashby um, that, you know, yes, this neighborhood is not planned for, it's not a walkable community, it's not a walkable neighborhood, we don't know, it could be 20 years, it could be 50 years before we get the funding and, and the actual extension to the airport there. Um, and so, you know, I, I just want to, the planning staff to think about a way that we could address that bullet point and maybe expand on it a bit because you know the the city the area of North and Thomas and neighborhood of North and Thomas is I would not consider it walkable but I think they have also um, received their fair share of drive-throughs and I also think about areas in the South Sacramento area like Mac Road um, anything adjacent to 99 um, so I, I think I would consider you know, rewording that and encouraging, you know, yes, we have a future, hopefully, planned light rail station there, but um, I think as a city, we really need to look at, um, you know, how many uh, drive-throughs that, that we're approving and, and if that is the ultimate end goal for us to be supporting, you know, future transit, you know, walkable community. 
So that's just a comment um, that I wanted to make. Um, um, let's see here. I, um, I briefly wanted to touch on historic preservation um, and design guidelines. Um, I just want us to be mindful as we discuss historic preservation in the city um, about our commitment to equity. And I, I feel um, I, I, I support you know historic preservation. I think it's important, but I also think that it can um, disproportionately cause displacement. I, I think that you know in some of these areas, whether it's deemed a historic preservation district or we just, you know, objectively or subjectively feel that it is a historic building, um, that we can, that we are mindful of um, the high cost to, to renovate these properties and how it could potentially price people out. Um, and so I think I just, it's a comment that I want us to be mindful of as we move, move forward with this, especially with the design guidelines as they are, in the document it, it said objective, but I don't know that I would agree with that. Um, and I think a lot of that could still be subjective if it's you know staff level review. So it's just something um, to consider. Um, and um, I w one last comment um, because uh, Commissioner Caden, you know, sort of you answered the question that he had around the transit stations and the, the 1.0 FAR. So thank you. Um, just thank you for um, having a higher FAR on the Franklin Boulevard district. I work for that corridor and I know you guys, again, I've mentioned this before, but you reached out to us um, and we, we literally went parcel by parcel and discussed the potential, you know, the feasibility and potential for future development. And there's just a lot of opportunity on those commercial corridors. Um, we have all of the amenities that someone would need on these commercial corridors. It's it, there's so much potential for you know high density development and housing there, and I think just we as a city, as we move forward with this next general plan, um, you know adoption, we need to really focus our efforts on those quarters that already have you know the existing uh, infrastructure and um, you know needs of the community. So, so thank you for that. That was it. Thank you for your comments, Commissioner. Thank you, Commissioner Macias Reed. Uh, next up, we have Commissioner Young. Thank you. I just want to echo the sentiments of my fellow planning commissioners. It's just sensational work. This is my first first ride on the the general plan update, so I'm I'm enjoying it. So thank you very much. Um, I my question um, my first question stems from page 47 of the PDF. I think it's section two five. Um, there is a chart here that talks about the housing targets as well as the job, uh, new job target goals in for 2040. Specifically, I'm looking at 48,990 new housing units in quarters and centers and 72,200 new jobs in quarters and centers. I, I often hear the term, you know, jobs housing balance quite a bit. And so I'm just kind of like these two numbers were kind of put closely together, right? And so I'm, I'm just sort of curious if maybe you could inform us kind of your perspective on, on, on how this, these two numbers may interrelate. I don't know if, one, uh, if the jobs number informed the housing 
unit targets um, or how those those numbers were derived? I guess maybe that that should be the first question. Can you restate the numbers and was it? Yeah, I, it was uh, 48,990 new housing units in quarters and centers by uh -huh. 2040 and then 72,200 new jobs in quarters and centers in 2040. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's informed by the housing element or maybe the jobs number did inform the housing unit numbers. I'm just sort of curious. I think also um, actually it might be helpful to dissect that number a little bit further yeah. because uh, what you've said is corridors and centers. Exactly. Um, and some of the centers are, are larger sort of um, you know, business park type uses. And I think that's probably what, because centers is lumped in with that number, I think that's why the jobs number is larger. Because um, some of those areas, some of those um, employment centers, uh, you know, are on power and road and, and are really meant to be jobs focused. Um, but we could probably dissect that number a little bit further and, and um, I think breaking it out into, into corridors and centers and having the jobs and the housing by, co by corridor versus by center would, would help answer your question. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think obviously, right, that, well, not obviously, sorry, I hate using that term. Um, <laughs> that you know the, the the concern right is as as our economy expands right and we are we are introducing new jobs into this economy which is what we want right our, is is our uh, city keeping up with job creation right by producing more housing units right and so obviously that that, that is something beyond the control of the planning department right but I think what we can at least do right is is create targets right and and express aspirations, right, that we want to prioritize um, uh, housing, housing to be developed in conjunction with, with uh, new jobs, right? Because the more new jobs we have, there's going to be greater demand. And so to me, that's just going to increase housing costs in our area, which is not what we want. And which is, you know, again, we've, we've explained that as a policy goal is to maintain a good jobs housing balance. And so... Um, how that gets worked out, I would love to hear more about that in, you know, further discussions we might have, like, you know, having a map like, hey, in this particular corridor, we've, we've achieved a, a good jobs housing balance here. I mean, I, I would love to, to, to entertain more of that discussion down the road. Yeah. But, but I think just as far as just an aspirational goal, I'd, I'd love to just kind of get that hammered out. I think it's also worth pointing out that citywide, um, it's a that it, it is a much closer balance. Right? We're talking about sixty thousand new housing units and seventy-seven thousand new jobs, so it's much much closer balance. Okay, no, that's great to know. So, um, the other, let's see, other questions I had. So, uh, going back to to kind of uh, densities around transit, um, you know, I, I I'm trying to think of is there any way for us to express a, a, a priority or a policy priority of, of, of affordability or a, a variety of mixed income households within those transit corridors? I know that for now there's just the financing mechanisms are just not available right now for us as a city. Um, I would love to, for us to have a permanent source so that it, we can help facilitate that. But we just currently don't. But at the very least, I would love for us to, to create an expressed goal of having diversified mixed incomes 
in, in those areas where we are trying to create greater jobs housing balance, greater access to transit. And, and I would love to see more of a diversified um, household based on income um, in, in those areas. And at the very least, it creates sort of like a, a goalpost for us. Um, I love uh, the last presentation where we were able to creatively think of, you know, a way of, of including affordability in a private, what was essentially a private market rate uh, proposed project by a private developer who had no affordable housing experience, right? But, but the city came up w in partnership with SHRA, came up with a brilliant plan to, to just kind of combine that. And so to the extent that we have those goalposts and creative energies kind of along those areas, I would love to see something like that as an expressed goal in our general plan update. To a certain extent, it is already in the housing element, right? Um, because of the fair housing requirements to look at how build out of the housing element inventory would you know, improve or affect um, patterns of, uh, of fair housing. And so there, um, it's built into, um, it may not be um, expressly uh, stated, which is I think what you're asking for, but it's, right. it's sort of implicit in some of the background work that went into the housing element. Right. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that we can put that in the forefront of our minds, um, I, I think it's something worthwhile. Again, I, I'm curious as to the input of the general public, and you know, but but that's just my expressed desire. I, I think it just makes for smarter planning. Um, and finally, I had other little detailed ones, but I'm not going to go there. We're just short on time. I, I don't want to. But um, in the um, as part of kind of the, the general outreach, which I wasn't there at the time, um, it's happened multiple years ago, but was the, was the disabled community involved in those discussions as far as kind of the general plan update? Any out particular outreach to the blind community or other disabled communities? Good question, Commissioner. Just uh, yesterday evening, we presented before the Disabilities Advisory Commission, and um, as part of each phase of the general plan project, um, we brought the key deliverables and milestones to the Disabilities Advisory Commission, and with their assistance, also helped to encourage participation um, from all individuals with disabilities um, and to try to have a comprehensive outreach program. Okay, great. I think I just wanted to make sure that that was just part of our process and that our general plan update was informed by, by that community. Thank you. With that, I yield. Thank you, Commissioner Young. Excellent comments. Uh, we have uh, speaker, next speaker is Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, you know, earlier on I touched on <clears throat> um, inclusionary housing as a means of affordability and achieving that. Uh, and obviously I want us to, to pursue that. I want to back up though and get pre-affordable housing uh, and something that has not been mentioned at all here, and that's uh, homelessness. Um, it's, I've been <clears throat> very involved in homelessness on a pro bono basis with colleagues for the last two and a half years. Um, not much progress. And I think it's easy we could say, well, that's kind of a political thing. Let's put that aside and deal with it. You know, we're looking at a, a 2040 general plan. We're already, you know, into that 20 year thing. Well, what have we got? 16, 17 years left in this. <clears throat> homelessness is going to be around for a while. It's not going to be solved in five, five years. That's, I think, very optimistic. It would seem that it justifies and should <clears throat> be considered as an element uh, in the general plan as we move forward. 
uh, you know, I think we all know it has a tremendous effect on all aspects of the city, livability, uh, you know, everything else. And, um, you know, I, it sounds negative to call it the, uh, uh, you know, the elephant in the room, but, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's, 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 I see it as a positive thing. There are great people out there who are down in their luck and homeless, and I think they need to be incorporated in this uh, uh, general plan update as, as we move forward. I don't know what that means, but I think it's interesting that I have not seen it uh, you know, mentioned at all uh, here, and I think it's worthy of uh, study. I would, um, just in response, it was certainly something we've heard a lot from the neighborhoods, and it's, it, if, if you look at the community plans, it's, it's, it's identified and addressed in the community plans as community priority. Um, I, I'd also say that the housing element is, of course, part of the general plan, and the housing element does address, does address homelessness um, there. But uh, thinking about specific, specific locations where, and I guess the other thing we'd want to say is, um, that homelessness is a, is a very fluid situation and it requires sort of a dynamic response, whereas the, ge the general plan is a, uh, a big, slow-moving ship, if you will, that's difficult to, um, to, to change off its course. And so you have to be conscious of what you put in the general plan is really that high-level high overarching policy. But with that in mind, um, there is a section uh, and a goal in the EJ element related to safe and sanitary housing, and that might be a location for something more specific to provide guidance on, on homelessness, or the high-level policy guidance on homelessness, that might be a location for it. Yeah, I certainly understand it, <clears throat> that it, homelessness is a fluid uh, issue and dynamic as opposed to the, the more fixed goals of the, uh, the general plan. However, it, as a fluid dynamic, it's gonna greatly affect the, uh, the fixed goals that we have moving forward. Thank you, Madam Chair. Grace, next we have uh, Commissioner Macias Reed. Yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to address a few of the comments that were made this evening regarding the parking issue because I forgot to bring that up and there were many comments made. Um, and I don't want to jump the gun on the next item, the next discussion item. Um, we've been talking about this uh, for quite some time and, and had actually planned at. Uh, planning commission to have an ad hoc committee we had established one the city changed the rules we no longer allowed to have ad hoc committees and so now the city um, decided to hire a third party to help with that process so I would say um, that is a part of the discussion um, and maybe if the staff could elaborate on you know the next item and, and you know how we're moving forward with with addressing the parking uh, minimums versus maximums. Or at least the process. Oh, sure, yeah. Share Sorry, to, for the people who made the... I was the next item, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds great, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, just, there's been a, a few comments yes, made absolutely. tonight just so that absolutely. in this item we can address sort of the process that's upcoming to address that. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Um, as reflected a little bit in the presentation, and you'll hear more in the next uh, agenda item here, uh, it's been identified as something that's been a priority to the Planning Design Commission, to the council in terms of key strategy, one of the uh, key programs of the housing element to, to really take a hard look at uh, what we require in terms of parking minimum citywide, looking at establishing parking maximums, and doing a variety of other parking management strategies that you'll hear a little bit more about uh, this evening. And so, you know, since then, there's been some pretty landmark legislation you'll hear a little bit about as well um, uh, that's... Uh, that doesn't allow the city to require minimum parking uh, at 44% of the city. So that they did, the, the state did half the job for us. 
Uh, and so what we committed to council uh, into the commission was to you know, bring on and do a study and really have specific recommendations for what we'd recommend uh, that would be supportive and, and uh, would respond to the key strategy and the, and the draft policies and the general plan. So in terms of next steps, we have a consultant coming on board and uh, we'll be kicking off officially in July. We are establishing working groups that you'll hear about here momentarily. Uh, we'd love the, P uh, the Planning and Design Commission's participation on that. Uh, and we'll be getting in and doing a lot of the existing conditions and data analysis, uh, et cetera, and community engagement um, to begin those uh, preliminary recommendations for how we move forward on how we handle parking in the city of Sacramento. Thank you, Matt. And I just, I wanted to address it for the comments and, and the speakers and whoever's watching online, but also because um, uh, it's, I, I, I don't disagree with the comments that have been made. Um, I think it is going to be, it needs to be a very well thought out process. Um, and it's again, something we've been talking about at commission for, for quite a few years now. So I, I'm happy to see that, although we were not able to you know, start that conversation with the ad hoc committee, we, we are moving forward with that process. And if you stick around for the next item, um, you, know, you can see how you can you know, stay engaged in, in those conversations. In the same vein, it's worth pointing out, and I don't have the policy number at my, at my fingertips, but in the mobility element, there is sort of a foundational, multi-pronged policy about implementing a progressive parking strategy that includes considering um, parking maximums. And so that's, there's a foundation in the general plan that staff and the commission can build on um, as the plan gets implemented over the years. Thank you. Thanks, Commissioner Macias-Reed. Next, we have Commissioner Lamas. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to also acknowledge the staff for all the time and effort that you guys have put into working on this general plan. Um, and also thank the folks that participated and gave comments, right, over the years. I think you said 100 uh, participants virtually recently and over 700 participants uh, since you guys have begun this process. Um, it's a lot of uh, factors to kind of try to weave into this plan, and so I commend you for, for that effort. Um, I'm glad to hear um, some of the comments from my colleagues as well about the um, affordable housing efforts. Um, and I just had a question more administratively from for the city staff um, about the mixed income housing study. Um, is that going to be, is the timing of that gonna be where it's finished and also incorporated into the general plan or is it kind of worked on on the side and, and added in as like an amendment to the general plan? If you can speak to a little bit more about how that ties in. Absolutely, yeah, Those the, the effort is concurrent with the general plan, like a lot of the uh, key strategies of our housing and general plan, you know, we've been directed by council to really not wait until these these uh, documents are adopted by council and move forward some of the priorities. Uh, the housing element was adopted in 20, end of 2021, and one of the programs uh, and supportive policies was to take a hard look at how we provide affordable housing in our community, especially in our high opportunity areas, to affirmatively further fair housing, uh, and so, we have been working the last nine months or so on the study, the Mixed Income Housing Ordinance Review, taking a look at our ordinance that's in place now and the fee that we currently collect on market rate development, market rate housing. And so we've uh, since then released two deliverables. One was a look uh, and a study analysis of our current ordinance and how it's performing, as well as the previous iteration where there was uh, some level of inclusionary for new growth uh, areas of our city. And so that report is available online now. And then we just released on uh, June 1st report of case studies and survey of all the jurisdictions in the SACOG region, as well as a deep dive in understanding and, and uh, lessons learned from 
a variety of jurisdictions, both locally uh, and nationally, uh, to build off that. The next piece of that will be coming, will be a feasibility analysis, looking at a variety of different options, whether we uh, remove exemptions, we increase fees, we inclu uh, include uh, uh, on-site build requirements for new development, and what that would look like in terms of uh, 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 economic feasibility for development. Um, so that'll be coming uh, in the next uh, couple months or so, and then we'll roll out some preliminary recommendations, many of options for uh, commission, council, and community to weigh in on, uh, moving towards uh, adoption of that, uh, probably in, in the early, uh, end of the year, early of next year. So it's gonna be pretty, pretty concurrent with this process. Okay, perfect. Thank you for that update, appreciate it. Yield my time. Thank you, Commissioner Lamas. Uh, Commissioner Zhang. Thank you, I just had, I wanted to follow up um, on my question earlier. So I was on the webinar that was held earlier this week and the reason why I was asking that question is that I did notice that a lot of the participants were um, people who were already connected either through serving on a commission or city staff or consultants. Um, and as a newer commission member, I'm totally fascinated by this plan and I just wanna put it in front of everybody. So if there's anything that we can do to kind of uh, reach more people, I would really um, be open to um, maybe having a dialogue about that. Um, and I know that it, it's hard to get people to come to a meeting. If you, if you set up something new and you're trying to get people to come, that's hard. But if we are involved with extending like meetings and we can provide space for you guys to come and do a brief presentation, if you if that would be possible. Um, and then secondly, um, regarding the diversified housing types, I'm super excited about the bungalow courts that were that was mentioned. Um, I haven't seen that in Sacramento, and I was wondering if um, when that was being considered, did that involve um, talking with like housing developers to see if, if, if this is made easier for you to build? Are you interested in building? Is there any feedback on that? Thank you. Sure, I'd be happy to respond to that. Uh, in terms of uh, doing more outreach and meeting people where they are, please reach out. We have any suggestions about events or meetings that folks are having, we'd be happy to, to drop by. We have a, a number of pop events we've been doing. We were just at the Filipino F uh, Fiesta. We're going out to celebrate Oak Park and the Pride Festival this weekend. And so we really want to go where people are because I understand that it, it is hard for folks to be able to know the day, um, join different webinars or you know those kinds of things. So if you any of you have ideas where we can show up, we're happy to do so. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the variety of housing types, uh, we are also concurrently with the general plan undergoing the missing middle housing study. We'll also be coming to the commission here in the next few months. And uh, we'll be uh, exploring a variety of, of, of different options in terms of housing types. And we have gotten a lot of positive feedback in our first round on this uh, from community input on the bungalow courts. And believe it or not, there are, I believe, 45 different bungalow courts uh, in the city of Sacramento that were created uh, before we uh, changed our zoning uh, back in the 60s. Uh, and so there's some really great examples. And in fact, we just did a walking tour with a AARP. They are strong uh, proponents of missing middle. Um, and they, they see that as a, as a big topic for their members who want to be able to age in place and have different opportunities to get income. And so we did a walking tour in the Boulevard Park uh, neighborhood and, and looked at a couple bungalow court examples. So if you're interested, we can uh, send some examples of, of how it, what it looks like in the city and some of those locations, because they're, they're great. In terms of, there are gonna be some barriers and we're looking at that and digging in. We're gonna be having some workshops with AIA coming up in terms of looking at potential solutions, just because we haven't built those housing types in, in some time. So there's gonna be some things we'll have to change to our code and, and likely our design guidelines to really help pave the way to see more of those housing types. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair.
Thank you, Commissioner Zhang. <clears throat> uh, Commissioner Kaden has additional questions or comments? Uh, comments, yeah, yeah. Um, no more questions, I promise. Um, I, so I just wanted to, to reiterate some of my comments from earlier. Um, and just, you know, again, acknowledge public, this public redraft is already a phenomenal step forward. I, I do think we can make it even better. And, you know, we, we have these really, really ambitious goals in that plan. And, and Table 2-1 two, two is, is really cool. I think it's, it's great to have these quantified objectives. Um, but, you know, we have to be willing to make these really bold policy choices if we're actually going to reach those goals. Just to read a couple of them, I, know, I mean, um, we, we talked earlier about the 49,000 new homes in centers and quarters. The 50% um, of renters now going to 30% cost burden by 2040, 3% transit mode share going from, uh, going, uh, from today up to 11% in 2030, 4% bike and ped to 12% by 2045. That's going to take dramatic changes to the built environment, right? And so I think we need to be thinking big in terms of, you know, having a lot more people and a, and a lot more jobs, uh, you know, living and working in our, in our central city, our transit-rich neighborhoods, um, you know, of course, the centers and corridors as well. I think the, the LUP 2.4 and, and 4.1 that we talked about earlier, you know, about directing growth to transit, proximate neighborhoods, right, I think that takes a step in the right direction. I'm a little bit worried that they're not consistently applying to all the, stand, the, the, the station areas. So I, I'd like staff to, to explore some changes to 4.1 in particular to kind of set up a little bit more of a explicit, like standardized baseline set of FARs um, across the, the sort of city's uh, uh, transit adjacent neighborhoods. I do think we talked about the buffer earlier. I do think that should be a half mile, not a fourth mile. You know, we already went through this process with the TOD ordinance of identifying the, the walking distance uh, half-mile buffers. That was a whole process, and it, it, would, it seems like a shame to kind of throw those areas away. I would love to, to kind of use basically those same areas that we've already identified, you know, parcel-level analysis for. Um, and then I think the policy, the policy could actually, in the policy language, explicitly say that maximum FARs should be X, should be 2.0 in these areas. Or, uh, or I know we were hearing higher numbers in some of the comments, but I think you know 2.0 makes sense to me. It, it doesn't make sense to me to have a policy say that we want higher intensities in these areas and then have the FAR around select transit station areas being the lowest in the city. And, and actually, I don't think we can even go below the 1.0 as I understand it, under SP 478. So it's literally the lowest legally possible. So again, I, I think applying a, a standard buffer overlay is really a great way to, to guarantee that the intensity gradient that we're seeing in that max FAR map is consistently applied, it's, it's policy driven, and it's not subject to, to exceptions, right? I didn't even sort of mention earlier, right, but I do want to highlight there's, there's an equity and an anti-displacement, you know, conversation to be had here. What is, what is the signal that we're sending to the market when we say that you can build twice as much floor area in Oak Park as you can in some of the, you know, highest neighborhood uh, or highest opportunity neighborhoods in the city that are right next to transit? You know, there's a number of policies in the plan that are, that are kind of aimed at reducing the risk of displacement, which is great. 
that map to me is saying, you know, yes, you can build a fourplex in this, the richer parts of the city, but you can build bigger in Oak Park. And the reasons that I've heard um, for why that's the case tonight are that the built environments look different, and, and they do, but they look different because that's what we've allowed, right? Those neighborhoods have been single family for 100 years. Oak Park has allowed density for 100 years. So that's why there's a fourplex next to me. That's why there's a duplex next to me. You know, and you know, the lower FAR neighborhoods I also heard, heard are, you know, they're built out, right? And they're less likely to deliver new homes. You know, if that's, if that's the case, then there, there really shouldn't be a concern about applying a standard approach across the board because you actually won't, if, I, don't, I don't actually know if that's the case, but if that was the case, it wouldn't be a problem, right? I'm, so I'm glad that Oak Park is, is welcoming more neighbors. Um, I, just, I just want kind of to even that playing field a bit so that we're also welcoming more affordable housing types, you know, in the neighborhoods of the cities with the best schools, the lowest pollution burden, the best parks, all these high opportunity characteristics that, you know, really maximize your social mobility. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, staff can, again, explore higher intensities than one in some of those areas, and then I think you can do it through a revamped policy uh, 4.1. Thank you, Commissioner Kagan. Uh, next, we have Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, like everyone else, thank you so much for all your hard work on putting this together. A um, lot to be proud of there. Um, thank you for taking the time to present to us tonight. It was a great presentation. Really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to echo um, Commissioner Chase's um, uh, shout out for the uh, the mixed income ordinance um, to keep moving along. Um, inclusionary, um, as it's traditionally known, is really important, um, not just to um, get more affordable housing built, but also to um, make sure that folks have an opportunity to live in the places where resources are shifting, right? Uh, oftentimes that new development brings in new resources and um, affordable or inclusionary zoning is a great way to make sure that folks uh, have a place there, low-income folks. Um, a couple of the speakers lifted up the idea of um, increasing um, the FAR in uh, high opportunity areas um, in an effort to make sure that we get more housing around um, things that we know are things that help people thrive. Uh, good parks, good schools, um, access to um, healthy food, um, good environment, all things like that. And the, the opportunity map um, that I think was referenced um, was, is, takes into account some of those things. So I would just encourage staff to think about how um, a policy like that um, could um, maybe even enhance our environmental justice element or help us advance our um, AFFH goals and the housing element. Not a question, just a comment. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Um, I have a few notes and then some comments. Um, so, uh, first, uh, amazing work. Um, we've all been on this journey together for a long time. And uh, like I've literally known Matt Hurdle for like 12 years. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I wanna uplift that uh, every cool idea that I've ever seen any urbanist talk about is in this plan in some way, shape or form. Some of the really amazing work by um, our active transportation folks is here. Uh, economic gardening is in here. Um, 
our commitment to arts and culture, which I have some notes about, uh, having an environmental justice element, uh, just this plan really does truly embody like what a general plan truly could mean for any community in California. Um, and so having started my work in public policy, just trying to get general plans to incorporate the idea that public health and the built environment are connected, um, 15, I guess 18 years later, <laughs> seeing it truly come to fruition, at least in the documents, but it's also starting to take root in the community is really spectacular. So I just wanna commend everybody. Um, and then I just have a couple of notes um, about arts and culture. Uh, there are two different kinds of arts and culture in our, maybe three in our region. Um, and some of them are well-resourced and others are run by BIPOC individuals. <laughs> and um, a little bit more attention to the displacement of cultural venues should be considered as part of this, um, like nonprofit stabilization, um, agent of change ordinances for the fact that we're creating more intensity near other intense uses. Um, I think should be considered. Um, we took the community benefit discussion out of the general plan is my understanding. So how will we ensure the provision of creative spaces as part of that conversation, either in the general plan or, or elsewhere? Um, and then do we intend, I guess this is an existential question, should we consider the, a policy that codifies arts and entertainment districts like defining them, how they formed, and what are the benefits and the obligations that they should deliver. And with that, I think I'm gonna close comments. Um, <laughs> this is a discussion item only. So um, we, if there's no other burning comments from the commission, we can close the item and move on to the next. Great, thank you commissioners. Really appreciate your feedback tonight. Great. All right. <laughs> Item number three is the status update on the revisions to vehicle and bicycle parking requirements project and nomination and appointment of two planning design commission members to project working groups. Good evening, Vice Chair Wallace and Commissioners. Thank you very much for having me here. My name is Ryan Dodge. I'm an Associate Planner here with Community Development Department. Also have staff here from Public Works, and I'm in the Planning Division, uh, Long Range Planning Section. So we're gonna be talking about the revisions to vehicle and bicycle parking requirements project. We're about to kick off, like Matt mentioned, next month. And we'll be looking at getting rid of parking minimums, expanding, uh, parking maximums, parking management, as well as bicycle parking. As alluded to, there's a big change in state law, AB 2097, and this pretty much means statewide, within a half mile of a major transit stop, uh, cities are no longer allowed to require parking, with some limited exceptions. Uh, this includes existing stops, as well as planned stops, and for purposes of AB 2097, uh, planned means uh, the stops in the regional transportation plan, the, the MTP SES. So this was effective January 1st. It only applies to new developments. 
And I did want to read what it says in the bill because uh, it kind of explains why they did this. So the legislature finds and declares that the imposition of mandatory parking minimums can increase the cost of housing, limit the number of available units, lead to an oversupply of parking spaces, and increase greenhouse gas emissions. Now, AB 2097 covers 44% of our city, so we cannot require any, any minimum parking for that. So we do 56% then, we still do and can. And this has been discussed extensively, uh, general plan update, key strategy 21, uh, included ending parking minimums, uh, as well as taking a look at parking maximums, uh, and then extended uh, housing element has the program, as Matt mentioned, and then the draft general plan and the cap also have proposed policies around minimums, max maximums, shared parking, uh, curbside management, and prioritizing active transportation. So to go over the scope a little bit, it's been since 2012 since we had major, major changes in our code around parking and taking a look at minimums and the numbers. And um, we put together a draft scope. As mentioned, there was uh, this commission created an ad hoc committee that did meet one time in 2022 and six members of this commission did participate and reviewed and commented on the scope outline which we used to create the full scope that we uh, put together in a request for proposals, an RFP that we released in December 2022. And then we created a selection committee where Commissioner Boyd uh, participated on the selection committee with uh, CDD as well as Public Works and that selection committee chose WTRANS as the primary consultant. Uh, also involved will be Nelson Nygaard, AIM Consulting, and Strategic Economics. And we do anticipate that we will complete the project in fall 2024. So the scope really consists of for vehicle parking and bicycle parking, existing conditions review, parking data collection, uh, parking code changes potentially, Parking Management Toolkit, we'll create that as well, and a Housing Development Funding Assessment. Now, community engagement is a core component of this process. We'll have six small workshops. We're calling them community converse conversations. And then we'll have multiple meetings with Active Transportation Commission, City Council, Law and Legislation Committee, uh, as well as the Sacramento Disabilities Advisory Commission. And we will come to this commission uh, three times, the next time most likely later this year or early next year. The other big piece of this is the creation of two working groups to inform this process and this project. Uh, one focused on residential areas, the other on non-residential areas. Included in the staff report were three recommendations. The first one, uh, if you so wish, uh, the recommendation would be to appoint one planning and design commissioner to the working group focused on residential areas. The second one would be to appoint a commissioner to the working group focused on non-residential areas, which are the commercial, industrial, and mixed-use areas. And the other one is to give us feedback on other groups and organizations that we can include on the working groups 
And on this slide, I have a full list here. The, these are staff suggestions. Uh, I also did notice in the uh, e-comments that someone had mentioned maybe including the Sacramento area uh, bicycle advocates, uh, as well as maybe the bike kitchen. So before I return to the first recommendation uh, and end my presentation, I just want to see if, what questions you have for me. Thank you. Uh, do we do public yeah, we'll do public comment on this first. <laughs> Thank you, Vice Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Thank you, Clerk. Um, first, we have Commissioner Macias Reed. Thank you. Um, really excited to see this moving forward. Um, just curious about the process for selection. Um, what would be the requirements? Um, what would be, you know, if it's a working group, what are, you know, how often is a working group planning to meet, um, you know, for the commission to make a determination on, you know, if they're interested or not? Definitely, excellent question, thank you. And I did fail to mention, we do plan on having each working group meet four times. Uh, we don't necessarily have a criteria. We will put together like a mission statement for them. So it's very clear what we are doing and what we're gonna work on. Um, as far as the, uh, uh, the preference for a residential or non-residential working group, really kind of be self-identified to some extent. We also want to balance. We want to hear many different viewpoints and not just have everybody on one side or the other or anything. We want everybody together. Um, so meeting four times, that, that is the commitment and the expectation from whoever gets appointed. Um, and it's just gonna be sort of a, I mean, I, I have been engaging in the housing policy working group for, for a few years, and so it's just a lot of you present and give comment and feedback as necessary. I'm assuming it's the same process. I, we haven't discussed it. I'm anticipating meeting for longer chunks, uh, potentially up to half day, potentially. Um, and I think we really, with this issue, we want to drill down because we're going to hear from uh, folks who live in the neighborhoods who, who know the reality there, and then also folks who want to build in different areas. And when it comes to the parking, how any changes would affect everybody involved. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Macias-Reed. Um, Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. I forgot you unmute me, don't you? <laughs> I don't have to hit the button myself. Thank you. Um, I would just like to um, uh, ask my fellow commissioners, uh, as I was going to be one of the <laughs> members of the, uh, the ad hoc committee before it uh, was uh, not allowed, um, I, I would certainly like to volunteer to be one of the, um, uh, one of the representatives on these, probably residential, but I'm open to either, either one. So. I'm going to posit we're still in discussion mode and really quickly um, note that Commissioner Boyd is, was unable to attend today for, due to a medical issue. I would like to see if folks are amenable to not voting today so that we can include him in the vote in the conversation. So just throwing that out there before you comment. 
Uh, next up, we have Commissioner Lamas. Thank you, Chair. Um, I think there was a section that, that was asking for suggestions on what groups you may be able to engage with as part of this process. Um, and I, I don't know if I saw them, but the, there's the South Natomas Transportation Management Association. And I know uh, they work with a lot of employers in the area um, and try to encourage folks to take public transit, use bikes, they have like bike subsidy programs, they do a lot of good work in this space. I think that'd be a good group to reach out to. Um, also, um, I see neighborhood associations are listed. Um, there's also a group in South Natomas called, or District 3, called the District 3 Coalition. It's like a group of neighborhood associations, which might be a good place to touch base with a lot of folks all at one time. Um, so just encouraging um, city staff to reach out to some of these groups as part of the stakeholder outreach. And I would like to mention there's a separate city project working on updating the transportation demand management ordinance uh, spearheaded by Public Works, which it will be running concurrently with this project. So there'll be a lot of coordination. Perfect. Thank you. I yield my time. Commissioner Kaden. Thank you, Chair. And, um, you know, as, as someone who long time ago worked in the parking mobility division at the city of Oakland, um, parking is definitely near and dear to my heart somehow. Um, and, but anyway, I'd, I'd be interested in, in um, throwing my hat in the ring as well. I, I had a question. I, I understand we're not going to be voting today, but just wanted to mention it. Um, a question on the sort of idea to split out um, the, the residential and the non-residential. It's just what was sort of the thought process there is, is, I mean, I know we're talking about maximums potentially in select areas. Is, is there some thinking that the sort of non-residential and, and sort of mixed use um, working group is gonna be tackling that topic specifically and then the residential is not, or just curious? Uh, in part, it's because there's the, the way development typically works is that the, the effects of either getting rid of the minimum parking or having any kind of parking mag maximums, could the nature of it could be different. We also want to have two groups so we can kind of expand the number of people who are involved with the project. We're looking about eight to 12 folks per uh, working group. And if we had one working group of 24, it would be kind of difficult to get this work done. Um, and we just feel, for especially for residential only, they're gonna have very uh, straightforward concerns. The other non-residential areas might have other things coming up. And sometimes there might be things that are of no interest to the other folks. So we just wanna make sure that what people are interested in, we can address it and talk about it in a way that needs to be talked about. Uh, next we have Commissioner Zhang. Hi, yes, okay, so regarding um, other groups to recommend um, for involvement, I, I think that the North Natomas Jive would be also a very good um, organization to reach out to because their, their main goal is to make biking, walking, and public transportation more easy for the North Natomas residents. So, um, and coming from that area, um, and Commissioner Macias, we'd actually touched on it earlier, it's probably one of the least walkable communities um, uh, as far as... Um, Walking and bike, I mean, we, we have good bike, bike trails, but walking and um, public transportation are our two biggest challenges. So I think they would have some valuable input to provide. Thank so you. North Natomas Jibe. 
Thank you, Commissioner Zhang. Um, I, we, we do have to actually make a motion here. <laughs> um, so I would like to move that we um, continue this item, the votes for the appointments to um, a subsequent date. Is the next meeting available? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, the next available commission date is June 22nd. See you then. <laughs> All right, so I'll make that motion. Do I have a second? Commissioner Macias Reed. Yeah, no, I'd definitely like to second only because I, I think I think it would have would be nice to know what the commitment was and then who was expressing interest. Um, and of course, we know that very uh, Commissioner Boyd was a part of that process, so it's only fair to have him here. Um, and so I will second the continuation. I want to leave time for additional discussion. Did you want to make a comment, Commissioner Young? Okay. All right, then. Um, subsequent to that motion, will you please call the vote? Thank you, Vice Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. <clears throat> Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Chair Hernandez is absent. Commissioner Masias Reed? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Boyd is absent. And Vice Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes. <laughs> My apologies. Um, Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, the next item is members comments, ideas, questions, and any reports. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak? Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to mention, um, I think the members of the commission were invited uh, to attend a, uh, an AP government high school class, and three of us did attend uh, last week and, uh, at Kennedy High School. Uh, I just want to say it was just inspiring to see, and, and the subject was homelessness, uh, how these, these uh, students would, and the, the premise was that they were, I think, on the staff of a city manager, and so how they would implement, you know, how they would choose sites. They, they had three sites to choose from and what their rationale was, uh, and it was really, really great to, uh, you, you know, to sit there and see this process, be able to ask questions, but to, like I say, to be inspired, and I would welcome my fellow commissioner who was uh, who was there as well. Yeah. Just a, just a special shout out to Brett Williams, who is the the teacher of the AP govern, uh, Gov class, and um, he, I'm just so impressed, you know, with with the students and and their level of thinking. And I I would love to see more AP classes, AP Gov classes across the city. Uh, do something like that because it, we really want to encourage the next generation to be thinking through these issues. Us, us old folks. I mean, our, our time is going to pass soon. <laughs> we need we need fresh thinking, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, no, it, it, I think it it would be great to see more young people dive into these these issues at at this stage of their of their academic careers. But could I quickly add the fact that uh, Commissioner Boyd was also uh, the, the third attendee there, and uh, you know in his absence, so I want to thank him for, for being there as well. 
want. Um, I do not see any other uh, commissioners with their hands raised. So the last item is public comments matters not on the agenda. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak? Thank you, Vice Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. All right. Well, in that case, thank you, Clerk. Uh, this concludes today's agenda. Thank you, everyone, for your participation. The meeting is adjourned. I know you can see cowboy action. So tempting. <laughs> 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 <laughs>